Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! Are you a speed demon? <laughs> I'm the man in the mirror. <laughs> well, can I ask you to change your way, please? <laughs> um, wow, no message could have been any clearer. <laughs> Did you love Moonwalker as a kid, mate? I never saw Moonwalker as a kid. I play. I just thought it was an arcade game and a song. I was going to ask if it made any sense to you. No, <laughs> it doesn't make much sense to oh, me. Oh, and, and there was a there was a computer game as well, Amiga Five Hundred, which I'm pretty sure was just the arcade game, but I had it on the Amiga Five Hundred. Oh, I never played that, but I love the movie. Um, I still love it, but it's a trip. I don't know what it means, but um, it's a bit, bit of a mixed bag of ideas. <laughs> Um, but I guess I'm I'm using With bubbles in it. I'm using the music um, because today's show we're we're talking about stop motion movies and um, Moonwalker was a brilliant uh, example of claymation. There's a whole sequence there in Speed Demon, which was directed by a guy called Will Vinton, who was like a legend of stop motion. And um, I'm going to talk about him a little bit later. He also did claymation in Return to Oz and, and other movies like that. Yeah, right. You know the the, the gnome stuff. The Gnome King. Yes. Which was um, can't remember the guy's name who plays the Gnome King, but he's got a he's got a <laughs> he's got a name that I would have said was a woman's name. <laughs> like a Tracy or like someone a, like that. Yeah, but even more like not like Tracy like because thanks to Ghostbusters the cartoon, <laughs> Tracy can be a Tracy's can be a boy's name. But uh, no, it's, it's like it's not Cyril. <laughs> It's like, well, one of the, it's like one of those British... It's a British name. It's the guy from The Reckoning and stuff. Well, and that's okay. That just proves that there's a lot of improv on this show and uh, we don't have notes. And I don't prepare anything. <laughs> anyway, uh, that explains the music. Um, I was going to say, feel free to, to sing along if you want. No, because okay. you abuse you abuse uh, me singing along on the show <laughs> and turn it into into TikTok fodder. Well. Which uh, <laughs> then I, I, get, uh, I get laughed at by my nieces. <laughs> Uh, have you ever popped up on their TikTok? In the, uh, I have. <laughs> Excellent. Um, it is uh, Nicole Nicole Williamson. Oh right, Nicole. He, it's, his name's Nicole, but he doesn't have an e at the end. But I would have said Nicole was a yeah was a woman's name. I mean, I don't want to get let's not get into the whole gender thing right now. But traditionally, I would have thought Nicole, but uh, Nicole Williamson. There you go. Is the Gnome King from Return to Oz. You learn something every day. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and for those of you at home listening and already knew that, I guess... Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> welcome to Good Movie Monday. Well, the take week- my job. <laughs> the weekly podcast presented by FakeShamp.net. We're the home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and when it comes to stop motion and claymation, I think it's impossible to go past Morph, that freaky little turd man uh, from the Ardman mob. <laughs> 
Wolf is pretty good. And uh, your co-host is Ben Helwig, who likes to animate sex things with Ken and Barbie in his downtime. How are you, mate? I was going to say, I'm more of a Gumby man myself, but okay. <laughs> Gumby, Gumby likes to get pokey. <laughs> Jesus. Well, today we're talking about some pretty unique movies and stop motion movies to be precise. And if you're sort of a passive moviegoer who doesn't really understand the term, it is that form of animation which has clay characters or figurines photographed one frame at a time and they're all sort of um, painstakingly pieced together to form a moving image. And if you are one of those people, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I was going to say... read a book, watch you know, a movie. I'm sure nobody listening needs explanation, but you never know. If you think Nightmare Before Christmas, you have the gist of it. And the reason for today's theme is because the film screening at Monster Fest this Saturday night is called Mad God, or Phil Tippett's Mad God, to be precise, which is a full-on uh, stop-motion movie created by Phil Tippett, who is a... Uh, one of Hollywood's leading special effects wizards. Uh, brace yourself because the great man himself is coming up soon to chat all about that movie. And we're going to talk about his stuff in a bit too. But yes, Ben, Monster Fest kicks off this Thursday. Holy shit, mate. It's upon us. Bloody hell. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I've only got one shirt and two <laughs> pairs of underpants. <laughs> It's going to be weird. That'll get you through the introduction of the first film. Yeah, that's <laughs> if, right. As long as it plays. If you've been paying attention to our social media content over the past week, you will have seen uh, that we posted a series of videos on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube where we spent time with a bunch of filmmakers from the Monster Fest lineup and picked their brains about favorite movies and other fun horror-related stuff. And those were heaps of fun. Hey, mate, did you, did you enjoy those? I did. I was told by a friend of mine that I looked like I was pissed. <laughs> And I couldn't. I wasn't sure if he meant I looked drunk, or uh, just generally unhappy to be there, which was not the case on either point. I was like, oh, I apologise for my resting bitch face. But for people out there who aren't from Melbourne, like we have just come out of lockdown, and I'm always a bit slow off the mark, so I still have my lockdown beard and haircut, and I was wearing my lockdown jumper, the jumper that doesn't leave the house. It was just. You know, well, you take me as you get me. Well, they were lots of fun and there's a little bit more to come. We're not quite done yet. So if you just keep watching our social media pages uh, and engage with us, like, comment and, and share those videos, uh, we do have some more to come. So looking forward to that. And of course, an episode of Good Movie Monday would not be complete without the help of Jarrett Garn from Monster Pictures, Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm, Chloe Ritchie from the Movie Night with the Ritchie Girls podcast, Adam Ross from Triple M and the Boneheads from Kentucky, Joe, Chad and James. And that all adds up to a banging show, so stick around as we explore some of our favourite stop-motion movies. Mate, what are your earliest memories of stop-motion? Do you remember Grog? I do remember Grog, although I think it was probably more Gumby and... and um, although... What was the other one? Morph. Gumby and Morph were always pretty early. And then the... Do you remember the, the penguins? Pingu? Yeah, Pingu was was a big one, and uh, but then there was the ones with the they were um, ducks, but they were like origami ducks. Yes, I remember those. But I mean, the one I actually really liked the most was <laughs> was Lalina, which is not stop motion at all. Which is the draw the guy who was it was like a it was like a line drawing, and it was Italian, and all he did was swear at the his. Uh, did that stop motion? Oh uh, sure, 
Oh, I mean, all animation is stop motion when it comes down to it. <laughs> when you break it down. When you break it down, it's all frame by frame animation. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah, that 100% it counts. That was more, that was my favorite, that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he used to like shake his fist and stuff like that. And the cartoonist used to screw him over con- consistently. Fuck, like, I forgot it was great. all about that. I used to adore it. It's great. And it's, it is actually, funnily enough, it is available on DVD locally. Um, DVD, not Siren. Just, okay. Siren brought it up, brought it out a couple of years ago. So they, they like are those shorts, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So they like, used to play on the afternoon show on Channel Two, or even prior to the afternoon show. But they would be like the five minutes in between shows, yeah, or just before the afternoon show. So it was like Roger Ramjet kind of, yeah, kind of oh, style. God, tripping now down memory lane. But um, you could also probably just watch them on YouTube, right? I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure you could. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm, su- I'm shocked that they haven't made a, like a resurgence as as TikToks and gifs and stuff. Oh, mate, might have to uh, start a movement. Some, yeah, bring it back. <laughs> bring back Lalina. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE class. Now, I'm going to switch up my segment a little this week, and rather than talk about what's hitting home entertainment, I'm going to talk about Monster Fest because, of course, we are on the cusp of the festival kicking off. It starts this Thursday at Cinema Nova. And I wanted to let you in on a little bit of news, exclusive in fact. This is a scoop you're hearing it here first on Good Movie Monday, and that is that on Sunday, December 12th, from 10am to 1pm, we will be hosting the MonsterFest Market Day morning. It's going to be in the Cinema Nova bar, and we're going to have vendors like Umbrella Entertainment. We're going to have Ari and Jeff from Umbrella, and they're going to be selling their latest releases a week before they hit store shelves, as well as some of the titles from their Beyond Genres and Ozploitation Classics line. And this is a rare opportunity to meet the guys that are, you know, behind Umbrella. And you could even suggest a title or two you would like to see get released locally, like maybe blood moon on blu-ray for instance hint hint there will also be dead end dvd there uh, with joel selling the latest import releases from distributors like severin films blue underground arrow video and much more he's going to have some great stuff and i I imagine you're going to leave with like a handful possibly an armful of titles we're also going to have cinemaniacs there they're going to be telling you about their latest 2022 program and you can buy a season pass we're going to have deathmatch down under there with some of their professional wrestlers that you can meet there in person there'll be other vendors we're going to even have a monster fest table where you can buy old monster fest tees i don't mean tees that have been worn before i mean t-shirts from previous years uh so we're going to be going through the archives and pulling them out and throwing them on the sale table at a discounted price so it might be your last opportunity to grab one of those shirts that you may be missing or maybe need to replace because you know you've worn through it in any case it's an event not to be missed it's happening on sunday december 12th from 10 a.m to 1 p.m now the other thing i wanted to let you know about is there is a free event happening at monster fest and that is happening on the same day it's happening on sunday december 12th and it is the monster fest pitch in partnership with actor now this is going to have a couple shorts filmmakers that are working on feature adaptations of their shorts and it's going to be a panel discussion about taking your short to feature Uh, it's going to be very insightful and you won't want to miss it it is a free event but you do need to register. And if you're interested in that, you can register at monsterfest.com.au or you can head to the official 2021 website, which is monsterfest.com.au slash Australia. 
and all the details are there. Then the last bit of news I wanted to talk about was last week we finally revealed what the surprise session is at MonsterFest. And if you haven't heard, it is Hal Needham's 1986 classic Rad. We'll be screening it for the first time on the big screen in an all new 4K restoration for the 35th anniversary of this movie. If you've not seen Rad, you need to come along and see this on the big screen. It is just pure A's BMX bliss. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Well, as we were saying a moment ago, like stop motion has always been part of our lives. It's been part of mine from a very early age. And I'm thinking like all those awesome sequences on Sesame Street and TV commercials. Do you remember Louis the Fly and the Schmackos commercials? Yes, I do. Even the like... Louis um, the Fly, Louis the Fly. Do you know who the animator on those was? I don't know who the animator was. I know Bryce Courtney is the one who came up with it. <laughs> he was the advertising man. Exactly. Matthew Holmes. No shit. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'll show you photos of him doing the animation later. But it's uh, yeah, he's the guy behind Legend of Ben Hall for people that don't uh, who are not familiar with the name. Yeah. So why didn't he? Why didn't he make Legend of Ben Hall as an animated movie? <laughs> he should make an animated movie. Yeah. He's good at it. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, anyway, I just thought you'd get a kick out of that. Um. Throughout my teen years too, stop motion was like huge because, um, do you remember music videos by like Nine Inch Nails and Tool? Were you, were you that guy? No. Okay. I remember, the only one I remember was the Spawn. I think Tool did a, had a, um, Todd McFarlane right. animated. They, they did a series of music videos with like, you know, slug cocoon kind of creatures and Nine Inch Nails, you know, their closer music video had like, you know, decaying beaten hearts and things like that and... Yeah, it's it's a fucking cool medium, and that you know it lends itself to not only kids stuff but a lot of adult stuff. And um, yeah, when it comes to sort of picking a couple of movies for today's show, I definitely wanted to try and make it obscure like that. Get get into some of the less kid friendly ones, I guess. I did not go in that direction. Well, ultimately, the one, my my second one, I did have to come back to family, but I went for one that's a bit odd. But um, anyway, I wanted to try and align it with Phil Tippett's Mad God if I could. Right. Let's just get cracking. I want to go with my first one. Do it. All right. This one's pretty fucking out there. It's a movie called Live Freaky, Die Freaky from 2006. Have you even heard of this? I heard about it when you texted me saying, I'm going to do Live Freaky, Die Freaky. And I said, <laughs> well, I thought, I thought you were actually talking about The Freak. Oh, right. I didn't read it correctly. And I was like, oh, Freak's a great movie. Well, this is an interesting one. It's um, it Freaked. Di- it was directed by a guy called Joe Roca, who is a guy known for revolving in and around the California punk subculture and he has a really popular podcast there you go does he no joe rogan does it was a joke Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> i have to take a sip of my tea to overcome that one <laughs> but this guy directed um like a documentary about green day um all kinds of other music videos it's just 20 minutes of them pissing on their fans <laughs> he's written uh <laughs> trashy plays and he's sort of well known in the nineties for having a like a trashy novelty store that was called You've Got Bad Taste, and it specialised in kitsch material. And you've got bad. That's good taste, isn't that the that's the cramps line, <laughs> girl? You've got. So good the the taste. movie Live Freaky Die Freakly. It's a really puerile adaptation of the true crime book Helter Skelter, all about the the Manson murders, um, and it tells a t- tells a story in a really fucked up trauma meets John Waters kind of way. Uh, it's violent and it's really vile and um, soaked in blood and hardcore sex, and it's just such a strange experience. I'm not I'm not a, a user of drugs, but like if I was and watched this movie, 
that would be the end of me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I want to do this. And what I love about it most is just the voice cast because he sort of roped in all of his mates to, to help make this happen. And um, he tapped into that culture that he was revolving around. So you have guys from Green Day. They're all voices. Benji and Joel Madden are in there. Tim Armstrong, who's the lead singer of Rancid. John Doe from the, the band X. John Doe's one of my favorite. He's in all my favorite movies. Yeah. <laughs> Asia Argento's in there, Kelly Osborne and Henry Rollins. It is just weird, what? weird. But um, it's a who's who of the punk world. But um, the the good thing for people listening is it's entirely free on YouTube, so anybody can go and watch it. And oh, I was going to say, please tell me it goes for forty minutes. No, it, it goes for about seventy, I think. Okay. And if you, that's still pretty good. It's not up to scratch with like your regular stop motion as far as the quality of the animation because it's really, really cheap and tacky. Um, right. You know, but if you embrace the trashiness, it's a 100% mindfuck. And I think it goes very nicely with the whole theme of, of Mad God. And um, yeah, I just highly recommend it. There's lots of um, penetrational sex in clay form. And, you know. <laughs> well, if, if, if there's one thing clay is good for, it's penetrating other pieces of clay. And then. Uh... Go on. No. No, I'll leave it there. All right. Well, how about you take over and kick off with your first uh, one? Well, there's no penetration. <laughs> there's no penetration in my film, which kind of bothers me that I didn't go in that direction. I went in the opposite direction. I, the first one I went with when when um, when the idea of doing this as stop motion was floated. The first, pretty much the first film I thought of, only because it just happened to be have you know I happened to be thinking about it kind of at the time was 2009's Coraline. Of course, um, directed by Henry Selick, who who uh, is you know probably most famous for directing Nightmare Before Christmas, which is also a massive uh, stop motion animation film, uh, based on a story by Neil Gaiman, who I think it came out the same year or or the year the project started, the year Coraline came out, kind of thing. Yep. Um, and my, my I remember my nieces. Like I hadn't seen, I, I I watched it for this episode. I had not seen actually seen it, but my nieces used to be terrified of it. Oh yeah, like sure. absolutely terrified. Like I used to remember, like they tell me, like I knew kind of what what would happen. So when I would go and see them, I put buttons on my eyes. And go, I'm your <laughs> other Uncle Ben, and they would freak the fuck out. I love it. Uh, it was it was amazing. So I thought, look, I'm I'm going to watch it, and I've I had the I had the DVD, the old school DVD with the 3D. Mm. Um, version of the 3D glasses and I put that on and I stopped it about 20 minutes in because it, it just became it was a f- total headache <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just put it on the regular version and it was pretty darn good yeah, yeah. It it's, is, it's a scary movie it is totally a scary movie and it's freaky the way all good stop motion really should be mm-hmm. um, and it's got a massive amount of kind of voice talent which I always find I find it so odd. Like for me, I don't really like famous people doing voices in animated movies because yeah, right. the entire time you're just thinking you're distracted. Oh. Yeah, it's them. Like the couple I didn't like. Dakota Fanning is Coraline, mm-hmm. and Terry Hatcher is is the other mother and the mother in the movie. And I didn't notice. I didn't. I didn't recognize either of their voices. That's but- kind of perfect too, because like she's not a list celebrity, and she's not known for these kind of roles. Yeah, you know, so it's kind of out of the box. Yeah. Um, but, but the other ones, like Keith David, immediately, you, yeah. you know Keith David. Jennifer Saunders and Dawn French, 
but they they kind of suited their their yep. roles pretty well. Ian McShane was the one that took me a couple of seconds to like oh, I know that yeah. voice. But the French and Saunders thing too is that to American audiences they're not it that doesn't well mean known. anything. Yeah, it's yeah. just because we're yeah. we're we're one of the colonies. We're cultured. Yeah. Uh, and basically, if you haven't seen Coraline, basically the story kind of goes: Coraline and her uh, her family move um, to these uh, pink palace apartments, uh, and her parents are kind of incredibly work obsessed, and they basically neglect her. Her, <laughs> her parents aren't very nice, to be honest. Coraline isn't very nice, but her parents aren't very nice either. Um, and uh, this kind of weird kid from the neighborhood brings her this doll that is found that looks exactly like her that is like stolen from his grandmother's trunk. And this doll kind of looks like her, but has button eyes and leads her somehow (laughs) to this um, door hidden behind the wall. Like it's been covered over with wallpaper and she manages to open the door and it takes her to this kind of parallel universe where her other mother and other father live. And they are like the spitting images of her parents, but except they've got button eyes and they're, they're completely engaged in her, like that, you know, the mother makes great, like makes fantastic dinners. They live for her. They live for her. Yeah. yeah. It's like super kind of, they're super into, into um, Coraline yep. and they love her and they want her to stay. And, but then as it goes on, things aren't quite as it seems. And there's all sorts of kind of awesome kind of stuff in it. There's lots of cool type, you know, bug creatures and um, you know, inanimate objects come to life and all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's really cool, really dark. And where it goes, it gets quite scary. It does have a very kind of return to Oz kind of vibe. Absolutely. To it. And it is it is great. Definitely, if you haven't seen it, definitely worth checking out. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I was um I was gonna mention Henry Selleck a little later on, but I may as well do it now. Cause Tim Burton gets all the credit for Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. But it's probably eighty percent Henry Selleck. Yeah. You know, like Tim Burton came up with maybe the just the look of the film, the images and the yeah. story, but actually making it come to life was a whole different thing was all uh, he's only made four movies henry selleck and that's outrageous to me like this guy's a huge talent. i just think it takes that long like you, know, you make a live <laughs> yeah. act, you make a live action movie it maybe takes two years <laughs> you know from go to woe if you're if you're fast and you've got access to money whereas you know even the even the like the, the immediately greenlit um stop motion movie yeah. Like someone spending the next five years in a shed by themselves. They do say that um, well, it takes one week to produce about one minute's worth of footage, you know, on these things. It's amazing. What I love about stop motion, particularly Salek's style, is the way you can use and manipulate light and shadow. Yeah. You know, like particularly Coraline, like all those shadows that are cast, it's real. It's lights being, you know, bounced around and it's not computers. And... No. Well, funnily enough, well, it kind of is computers. Yeah. I think this was the first movie that made use of 3D printing. Yeah, right. To yeah. create a lot of the models. Mm. Like, yeah. so there were like 450 plus models and yeah. they had like people working on it, creating these, you know, things. It wasn't quite, um, I can't remember. Handcrafted who... and. I can't remember who it was. It was the guy that um, one of the early, like George Powell, I think. George Powell, he just literally had, there was no actual manipulation of the models mm. in any of the George Powell uh, kind of movies from the from the 30s and 40s, I think it was. Uh, the, he had like 50 different versions and that was it. You got to change, you got to interchange with one of them. And if, it, if the expression or the movement wasn't there, tough. That's what you had. Uh, whereas this one, I think they, they I mean, it's similar, but they went all out with it. They just, every possible variation of movement 
Uh, and it do, like it does, it is odd because it doesn't look like, it doesn't really look like a stop motion mm. animation. It's a lot smoother than they usually are. Yep, yep. It's um, it's the it's the future of stop motion. It's the future. That's right. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, I'm here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week, kicking off with a film named Todd, set to star Kate Blanchett and directed by Todd Field. This will mark the third feature from Todd Field following an acclaimed drama's Little Children back in 2006 and his acclaimed debut in The Bedroom, 2001. Now news that Kate Blanchett would be starring in Todd Field's next film broke in April, although now we have a US release date, some new cast members and a little more to go on regarding the plot. Tower is being lined up for cinema release in the US on October 7th, 2022 and will also be starring Nina Hoss, Naomi Merlin, Sophie Coward, Julian Glover, Mark Strong, Alan Cardona and Sylvia Float. Kate Blanchard will be playing Lydia Todd, an orchestra conductor widely considered one of the greatest at her craft. She was in fact the first ever female chief conductor of a major German orchestra. That's about all we know of the plot. The film will be shot in Berlin. Apart from directing, Todd Field will be writing and producing. Clifford the Big Red Dog is getting a sequel. The live action family movie that's based on the 1963 Norman Bridwell children's book hit US cinemas on November 10th and was also released on streaming service Paramount Plus so it's a little hard to see exactly how well it's done. According to Box Office Mojo, the film is currently topping 37.4 million worldwide, which doesn't sound that great, although you can bet they're definitely looking at how much it's attracted viewers on Paramount Plus as well. Tiffer the Big Red Dog was directed by Walt Becker. His previous credits include Wild Hogs, Old Dogs, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip. It's not known if he'll be back to direct the sequel, but word is that they're looking to have the same filmmaking team back on board. Now, quite a while back, word broke that Jonathan Entwistle, the creator and showrunner of Netflix's show I'm Not Okay With This and producer of The End of the Effing World, he would be directing two movies and TV show about the Power Rangers, but it's been pretty quiet on the Entertainment One slash Hasbro project. We now know that this universe is in fact heading to Netflix. Now, this is going to be a new Power Rangers cinematic universe as you remember a few years ago they tried to kick off a franchise a new cinematic franchise that didn't go quite that well this is going to be another reboot in an interview with deadline e1 president of global television michael lombardo had the following to say since we set up power rangers with jonathan we pitched really a whole world approach it's not just one show it shows followed by films some kids programming we have found a great writing partner for him they are off Knock on wood, Netflix is excited, we're excited, we hope to have some news soon. Regarding the films, there's not too much to go on, although word is that the first film will find the Power Rangers traveling back in time to the 1990s and trying to get back home. So that's certainly ripe for nostalgia there, considering the Power Rangers franchise began in the 90s. Now in more Netflix news, if you're a fan of music group The Gorillas, you're going to want to listen up to this. Gorillas frontman Damon Alburn has said in an interview with Apple Music, I'm at Netflix because we're making a full-length Gorillas film with Netflix. We're having a writing session in Malibu this afternoon. It's really exciting to do that. It's something we've been wanting to do for a very long time. It's been going through so many incarnations. This Gorillas doing a movie, honestly. Now, as you may know, this is a virtual band created in 1998. Singer-songwriter Alburn created it with Jamie Hewlett, an artist. 
and the band is famously depicted as animated members with their own fictional universe that plays out in their music videos. Now Gorilla's animated film has been trying to get off the ground since around October last year. Now it looks like things are finally moving ahead at Netflix. Not much else to go on, stay tuned on that. That about does it for me guys. Be sure to also get to ScreenRealm.com for some of the latest reviews. I personally have reviewed Blue Bayou and The Card Counter. Blue Bayou I thought was an emotional, fantastic little film, even if it does wield quite a heavy hand. And The Card Counter is an Oscar Isaac film featuring a fantastic performance by Isaac. The film itself wasn't quite up to scratch. Go check out my reviews there. And you can also check out December streaming release schedules for Netflix, Amazon, Shudder, all that jazz. Thanks so much for having me, everyone. Catch you next week. Heroes, that's um, by a guy called Billy Scream, and that song is taken from a 1985 movie called The Adventures of Mark Twain. Uh, this is a movie I remember, you know, I was researching for this episode and I saw it, and like just looking at those images, it took me right back. Like I saw this as a kid and just forgot all about it, and I love it when that happens because now I'm going to go and track it down and watch it.
But that's directed by the guy, Will Vinton, I was talking about earlier with that Michael Jackson sequence. Um, and, yeah, The Adventures of Mark Twain. This is interesting. It's a series of six chapters each telling Mark Twain stories like Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, all that kind of stuff. But then it's wrapped around... Aren't they the same? Aren't Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry <laughs> in the same story? They have their own books, though. Yeah, right. Because I can't remember who is... Because when I was a kid, I always thought it was Tom Sawyer was Huckleberry Finn's sidekick. When I think in the books, it's actually the other way around. It is, but they, they, they have their story together, but then they have side books side that books. go off on their own yeah. thing. Anyway, that's a whole other episode, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but those are wrapped around um, a strange subplot that has Mark Twain as a little claymation figure um, trying to keep up an appointment with Halley's Comet. Which was a big deal back in eighty five. Do you remember? Do you remember Haley's Comet? Do I remember nineteen eighty eight? Nineteen was it nineteen eighteen eighty five? Did you say? No, nineteen eighty five. I was gonna say it was a big deal in nineteen eighty in eighteen eighty five, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how old you think I am. <laughs> well, if but, I said uh, that, <laughs> I didn't mean to. No, but even nineteen eighty five, I do remember it being a big because it only comes around once every fifty years or something. Is oh, more than that, I think it's um ninety years. Ninety or years, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, do you remember where you were at the time? Because this was for me, it was like everyone stopped what they were doing to see this fucking comment. No, I don't remember. <laughs> Except <that>. for you. <laughs> okay. So what was I doing in nineteen eighty five? No. Discovering my peepee. Uh, <laughs> what's this? <laughs> doing, doing, doing. Hmm. There's a there's a claymation movie for you. <laughs> so, More like a Jetsons cartoon, but yeah. So Phil Tippett, the lousiest segue ever. Um, special effects royalty, really. And and if there's um if there's a documentary or behind the scenes video about Hollywood movies, he's in it. Wouldn't you say? Um, his, his work does cross the mediums from stop motion to CGI and, and to reel off some films he's worked on just to give you the, the scope and magnitude of who he is. Star Wars, Robocop, Dragon Slayer, Temple of Doom, Howard the Duck, The Golden Child, here we go, House 2, <laughs> Willow, Jurassic Park, Tremors, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Spiderwick Chronicles, Twilight, just goes on, mate. Just goes on. Starship, did you say Starship Troopers? I didn't. I was going to mention that, uh. Uh. In the conversation I have with him. But um, in fact, when it comes to Jurassic Park, this is the interesting part of his career because that's when he transitioned from the stop motion to the CGI because he was originally supposed to bring those dinosaurs to life with his go motion um, technique. Because right. he pioneered go motion for Star Wars, which was, for people listening, it's a technique that uses stop motion but includes motion blur so that the the animation sort of fits with the live action a lot better. Right. Is it? Does he do it with the rear projection? I don't know how he achieves people it. People in front of the screen, and <laughs> I let's, don't let's, know how he achieves it. But let's it, go into the technical aspects but it does of make, stop motion animation. That it, makes for really exciting radio. It does make the the effect uh, more fluent. But um, so he pioneered that. But then the uh, CGI revolution came, and he was forced to sort of switch his style of animation, and he became a bit of a pro when it comes to CG stuff as well. In fact, the the movies that made this episode on Netflix about Jurassic Park is hilarious when it comes to Phil Tippett. Right. Yeah, because they put him right in the middle of that transition and how grumpy he looks that, you know, <laughs> that they ignored his original concept. <laughs> I love it. Um, so now comes Mad God and what a what a total mind trip this one is, dude. Yep, a Milton-esque descent into hell. If you are getting along to see this at Monster Fest, you're in for the biggest fucking treat it is um, highly recommended. But last week I got to chat with Phil all about the film. Here's that conversation. Uh, enjoy it and we'll catch you on the other side. Hi, Phil. Great to uh, be talking with you. I hope you're well. I'm um, good. 
mate. This uh, this film is absolute brain food to me. Congratulations on bringing it to this point. I know it's been a long and I'm sure arduous process, but the I product think it's is just brain damage food. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's such a delicious film. Um, can you take me back to just the seed of Mad God? I know it's been with you for a long time, but how did the vision first strike you? Um. Well, years ago, uh, you know, it was um, 1987 after we finished RoboCop 2 um, that we started, but it began before that uh, years earlier uh, when I was trying to figure out a movie to make and what I ended up with was kind of like a Mobius or Richard Corbin kind of a thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just didn't like it. And so I started working on this thing that I didn't know what it was doing uh, drawings and watercolors. And eventually that turned into um over the period after we initially shot three minutes, uh, 20 years of, um, you know, the computer graphic revolution hit. And uh, that occupied all of my time um, getting into that because I'd have to go to production meetings and on the set and then, you know, lengthy post-production times. Um, and, uh, but in the evenings or on the weekends, I would, or if I was on location, I would draw storyboards or, or you know, creature designs and did that for 20 years along with uh, reading, you know, Freud and Jung and Milton and Dante and then, you know, books on archaeology and paleontology, which I knew and, um, you know, human evolution. And yeah, I did that over a 20 year period. And um, my wife worked in the editorial department uh, on Amadeus. So we would go out to dinner with uh, Milos Foreman. And I asked him as a young filmmaker, uh, what advice he could give me. And he gave me the best advice which was, and this is way pre thinking about Mad God. Um, if you want to take a good shit, you have to eat well. And it was like, yes, of course, the more time you have to develop something, the better the thing's going to be. And um, yeah, so I had <laughs> 20 years of eating well. <laughs> and, and by the time, uh, you know, I, uh, I was still working on the day job, but at my studio, I, I had trained other supervisors so they could go out and, and work on this stuff. And um, so that, that really freed me up. Has, has the project always remained like um, a point of passion for you? Did you ever lose interest along the way or was it just always on your mind? Well, the word 
passion is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up in the dictionary and it means it's from the Latin pati, which means to suffer. Mm. You know, that's what you do. That's what happens to you when, when you're doing something that you're totally involved with, you know, I mean, there is a lot of suffering that goes on, you know, you know, uh, you know, my wife would be neglected and, you know, I was just completely absorbed by this thing. And um, eventually I got lost and had a mental breakdown and had to go to a psych ward. And um, are you familiar with Young's The Red Book? I know of it, but I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's you know, something that he did over about a 16-year period. And it's a beautiful book with, you know, just immaculate, you know, handwritten calligraphy and, um, you know, amazing paintings. And, but, but uh, Young got lost in that. You know, the journey he took was a really deep, and, he, you know, you don't know that where you're going when you're doing this kind of thing because the uh, unconscious is, is serving you. And you know, never know where something's going to come from or, you know, what path you're going down. And I just got lost. And, and so did Young. And Young, uh, his family pulled him out of it. And I imagine they sent him to a psychiatrist and uh you know so that that really set me back for weeks and you know it, it took about six weeks to recover from that right would you i i would say this movie's your magnum opus would you do you think it's the most proud you've been of a project oh by far yeah it's just it's like not many people have a, a life's work and this one just sort of is precisely that um and stop motion in general just puts the biggest smile on my face and i love it have there been any contemporary stop motion movies you know of recent that inspire you none you know i i was uh you know um i really love um Ladislav Sterovich and um, Jerry Trinka stuff. But, you know, when it all turned into, um, you know, The Nightmare Before Christmas and, you know, all those movies. Yeah, no, I was totally not interested in that. Or Pixar movies, you know, mm. I don't like. You know, I just, I don't like that. Well, I got really bored with the narrative three act structure, you know, and I, I studied that for years, writing treatments and outlines. And, um, you know, it was just like, I realized that, 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 that formal kind of academic approach was extremely limiting. It was like putting you in a cage. Um, are you familiar with the term solipsism? No. It's a, uh, it, it means 
you can only know your own mind and you can't know anything else it's impossible if you think you know you do you know you're you're kidding yourself and that's another cage you know that you know you're, you're locked inside your brain but there's an entire universe in there and um you just go down different paths and you never know where any of the paths are going to lead. Yeah, right. Um, it's just fascinating. I, just, I can't even imagine the headspace you're in making something like this. Uh, and given all of the other projects you've done along the way, uh, have there been any filmmakers in that time that have, I guess, influenced the direction the film takes or inspired? Well, just, just to go back, a bit um i forgot how you started out but there was something oh maybe it'll come to me <laughs> so i'm sorry what was your question i was just thinking like you know you've done so much work the volume of your your work is immense along the way whilst this movie's being made were there filmmakers that you worked with that influenced things you did on Mad God or inspired you with certain elements of it? Paul Verhoeven was, you know, really a mentor to me. And we had the same worldview, uh, you know, pro-Palestinian and, you know, you know, we were talking, you know, we, you know, sit around and talk philosophically and we uh, came up with um, that we were, um, existential buddhists <laughs> i like that yeah so i like where paul's mind went you know he's an artist you know and he he doesn't care if his film make films make money but they're all one of a kind and and starship troopers was i, I had the most fun on that and robocop yeah, fantastic. And I, look, you know, if I can indulge you just for a moment, I am one of those few self-professed people that just love uh, Starship Troopers too. So thank you very much for that one. I, I reference it on my podcast a lot. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> that, that was, I had no interest in, in directing, you know, live action. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, because I worked around these guys and I saw what it took you know, and it's just exhausting. And um, I just don't have that mindset. But uh, John Davison, the producer of uh, Robo and uh, Starship Troopers, he was a big stop motion fan and, and supported me and, you know, helped me in building my, my studio. Um, and uh, for for you know various movies uh, before Starship Troopers, and um, it, it was his idea to do Starship Troopers too, uh, because he thought it could make some money, and um, so it was totally a financial thing. Mm -hmm. I needed money, you know. Uh, Ed Newmeyer needed money. John was set, you know, because he was, you know, he'd produced all these, you know, terrific pictures. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
Yeah, that, that was where uh, it, it really all began. Well, if I had, if I, if I was in the same room as you, I'd have you sign my copy. I, I do, I do like it a lot. Yeah, but other filmmakers, other than Paul, not really. Yeah, right. Well, that's that's good. Lucas and Spielberg, and Ron Howard were all. All that stuff was. I mean, I I was really happy to work on them. Really jazzed and. Uh, and and really liked the movies but it was you know that kind of commercial structure you know that where it has to play to um a paying audience mm. so i took the road that paul takes and it's just like i just follow my heart there's um you know in the equivalent of interviews with bach beethoven and, and mozart um when asked how they write their incredible uh, music, they just said, I transcribe it. You know, mm. it's just, you know, God that, that is really writing. And, and that that's accurate. Mm -hmm. And Mad God was a very kind of a emotionally biblical project for me, you know. And of course, I wasn't expecting that, but there's a, there's definitely a uh, religious side to it that, that's not Christian. You know, uh, many, if not most, of the European interviews uh, and um, uh, you know, video chats were were really aware of all the context, uh, mm -hmm. biblical. They noticed, and uh, they noticed Dante and um, Milton, and on and on. And you know, in the United States, that just never happens. Yeah, um, we're not educated over here. There's definitely an inferno sort of you know feel to this one. It's the ultimate mind fuck. I didn't need any substances to feel completely displaced in my own head. Yeah, you know, on. I I tried to. Uh, I decided to try and watch it uh, and and took like marijuana, like <laughs> gummies. And um, I took a lot of them and it was no different, on, you know, with that. <laughs> but. Uh, awesome. Well, we're getting the wrap up here, so I'm going to let you go. But on our podcast every week, it, it never goes by without referencing your work in one way or another from Robocop to Evolution or Star Wars, even Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So needless to say, it's been a huge privilege for me to have this opportunity. So thanks so much for your work. And thank you for the, uh, like I said, the mindfuck. Mm. Well, my pleasure. Like I said, <laughs> Mad God is pure mindfuck. Um, it's as, it's as mindfuck as you can get on screen. <laughs> Does it have um, claymation penetration? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have to get along to Nova this uh, this week to find mm. out, my friend. You'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> but you um, cannot get a bigger mindfuck on the big screen as Mad God. It's a good title, too. <laughs> yeah. And Phil Tippett's Mad God. I've got to, um, I've got to extend some thanks to Grant Hardy from Monster Pictures and yourself for helping bring that one together. So that's much appreciated. And we've got another recommendation to go, Ben, so I'm wondering what your next one is going to be. Well, funnily enough, I, I 
I feel like I broke the rules for this next one. <laughs> I was originally going to do Cue the Wing Serpent, the fantastic <laughs> Larry Cohen film. Yep. Uh, featuring a, a most magnificent uh, Michael Moriarty punching someone in the face in the first 10 minutes. And, uh, and uh, uh, a giant dragon, like... Tearing entrails out over New York City. Whilst you're saying that, I must say to people listening, we haven't been covering those sort of live action movies with stop motion because we could be going right back to Ray Harryhausen and all that kind well, of stuff. Well, now you've just uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've just you've rained on my parade. <laughs> Shit. Not not really, but yes, but a little bit. Totally. <laughs> I I actually I was thinking about I was thinking about like doing some of those Ray Harryhausen movies yep. like I do have a couple of them on Blu-ray Jason and the Argonauts or whatnot and then I remembered that there was a pretty good doco mm. on Ray Harryhausen and so I thought I'm gonna watch that instead so and that is what I'm gonna recommend because it's a fascinating doco it's called Ray Harryhausen Titan of Cinema it's from 2011 directed by Giles Penso and it does feature the talking heads of greats such as Peter Jackson Terry Gilliam. Tim Burton, James Cameron, John Landis, Ray Bradbury, Nick Park, Steven Spielberg, Steve Johnson, John Lasseter, and of course Henry Selleck, and uh, uh, Phil Tippett. Yes, uh, is also in there, and he is uh, he's a bit of a live wire in this doco. He's great, <laughs> um, and he is like a, it, ta- it, go- it pretty much charts the whole of Harry Harryhausen's career, hmm. and it goes right back to the start from when he was working for. Um, uh, the guy's name I mentioned him just before. Uh, anyway, uh, he did like Mission to Mars and all that sort of stuff. Um, but starting with, like working for him and then kind of branching out and then doing um, all of this, the Sinbad movies and then mm-hmm. um, the Jules Verne stuff and the H.G. Wells stories, Mysterious Island, and um, you know, up until then doing Clash of the Titans and uh, Jason and the Argonauts and all that sort of stuff. It kind of goes through, it charts his entire career and it's, you know, and he's actually in it. Harry Housen, through archival, I think archival interviews and I feel like he must have sat for it. But in my head, he, how old can Ray Harry Housen be? Well, he died not long he, ago. He died not long ago. Um, he's in it and they, like, he goes through everything and they show, like, this phenomenal kind of behind-the-scenes footage of movies that you would have thought they never would have had. Like, they would have been shooting this behind the scenes on Super 8 or 16 mil film kind of thing. To have that foresight to actually document things back then was just incredible. And it goes and it shows how they did a lot of this stuff, which is, you know, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Why do you think they did that? Do you think that was for sort of studio insider stuff so they could keep tabs on production? Do you think it was so that they could train new people? No, I think it was Harry Housen. Just, I think, I think that's what a lot of those guys who were doing a lot of the technical stuff like that. Did because they it was how they learned. Well, that's what I mean kept, for educational but, purposes. But I don't think for anyone else. I think yeah. it's just for them. It's okay. just like how did we do that? Like yeah. what was the process, and how can we improve on it later? Yeah. Because I don't, no one else, no one else cared. Like no, the, there's there's actually a part in the docker where they talk about how the the technically the directors of yep. these films they didn't like Harryhausen being on set, and they didn't know why he so, was there, like why he's there, and they thought that he was just getting in the way of their. It, telling a story and he's like, but you know, and they do make the point that sure, maybe somebody else actually did direct yeah. uh, Jason and the Argonauts, but really yeah. Ray Harryhausen did. So documenting would have been the sort of the equivalent to a writer dictaphone in. 
Yeah, you know, just to and they're just they're they're filming them they're filming themselves just like this is the day when yeah. we're doing this yeah. like just to show it like and it is it's absolutely fascinating and it is a, a warts and all kind of look like they're like John Landis you know the best of times can be pretty <laughs> pretty <laughs> acerbic and he certainly does you know admit that not all of the Harryhausen films are magnificent like mm-hmm. there are good ones and there are bad ones yeah. Uh, and stuff, and yeah, it is, but it is a pretty kind of thorough documentary, a pretty fascinating one, definitely mm. worth checking out. Awesome recommendation, caught me off guard with that one, didn't yeah. even think to go there, but I'm glad you did. Um, tell you what, Henry Selleck keeps getting brought up a lot <laughs> on this show, um, and, and I guess that makes sense when it comes to stop motion, it's either Phil Tippett or, or Henry Selleck, you know. Maybe we should get him on the show. For con- oh, God, wouldn't that be great, like for contemporary, you know, stop animation that's the way to go. Um, so I'm going to go with another one of his. And people automatically associate The Nightmare Before Christmas as sort of the godfather of stop motion in a contemporary way. But I want to talk about the follow-up project they did, uh, Tim Burton and Henry Selleck made in 1996. Hugely underrated and mostly forgotten Roald Dahl, James and the Giant Peach. I thought you were going to say Corpse Bride. No, no. Corpse Bride, yeah. See, that's what happens when Tim Burton actually directs yeah. the stop motion. It, it's not quite as... Wonderful. Yeah. Um, but few would agree with me when I say I think James and the Giant Peach is better than Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but is James and the Giant Peach better <laughs> than Fantastic Mr. Fox? Oh, we're, we're going into very deep <laughs> <laughs> conversation when it comes to that. That's interesting, actually. I haven't thought about that. Let's um, return Let me... to that in a moment. Yeah. I mean, perhaps it's the, the different energy and like color palette of this one that speaks to me. Into my stomach? Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> what is going on? But there is um there's something about the frivolity of James and the Giant Peach that does speak to me. And the film's book ended by live action. So it does have about twenty minutes in total of live action, but the bulk of the film is sort of this wonderful stop motion. Anyway, the story, if you've read uh Roald Dahl, you'll know. It's about a kid named James who climbs into a gigantic oversized peach that's growing in the uh the garden of his wicked aunties and uh, when he's inside the movie turns into stop motion and he meets a bunch of insect characters and goes on a strange magical journey through the sky all the way to new york city and just like the book um it is a surreal kind of adventure and the characters are just so um intricate and delicious and wonderful and and i think that sort of not only the animation brings them to life but the voice cast um joanne lumney is one of the live action actors uh, Pete Postlethwaite and um, Miriam Margulies is also part of live action. But then when you cross over into the animated stuff, you've got Susan Sarandon, Richard Dreyfus, David Thewlis, and Simon Kello and Jane Leaves. Like, that's that's a good cast. And I think... Jane Leaves. How far has Jane Leaves come <laughs> from being like a Benny Hill girl? <laughs> that's your start. That's your start. What's on your resume? Well, yeah, Benny Hill, cha- yeah, Benny Hill chased me around in, in, in lingerie for a 10 years. Um, but I don't know. Like, it, it seems to me to be a bit of a forgotten film, this one. I know. Until Disney Plus came along, it was kind of difficult to come across. I feel like I feel like James and the Giant Peach as a whole, like of the Raoul Dahl kind yeah. of oeuvre, it's a forgotten one. Because, yeah. like, you know, it along with, I would say, Fantastic Mr. Fox and the Twits were the kind of lesser... It, it still... Bigger than Danny Champion of the World, which is possibly or my favourite, <laughs> or Ezio Trot, which yeah. is like much more of an adulty one. But um, like a, you know, the big ones were always Witches, BFG, yep. 
Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, yep. Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, then there were these these second tier, yep. much thinner, kind of shorter stories. Yep. So it's hard to know whether you you know, it's 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 a lesser known film of a lesser known story. Yeah, totally. And but it's of all the stories, even probably more so than Fantastic Mr. Fox, this one lends itself to stop motion brilliantly. Yeah. How else are you gonna do it? Yeah, exactly. I mean just Basic animation, like you know, yeah, cell yeah. animation, but um, you couldn't really pull it off live action back then, anyway. Um, but it is a Walt Disney production, and um, like I said, was hard to come by. But now it's it's on Disney Plus and a few. I'm gonna have to check it out. Video on demand services as well. I do highly recommend it. But one thing I just want to recap on there is that Henry Selleck, four movies only, like Monkey Bone being one of them. That is a movie that could have been something. Could have been. Well, you know what's amazing. funny about Monkey Bone? I don't know if you remember Neon Magazine. I remember that, yeah. It was it was one of my all-time favorite movie mags. And they used to have a section in it. Uh, similar, I think Premiere did the same thing where they used to have these, you know, um, what's coming up or yeah. what's what's doing the rounds now. What's And Monkey Bone, had, it was, Monkey Bone was listed there and had been optioned. But the story that they had was completely different to the actual, what the film turned out being about. And it is like... The one that they had written about yep. was sounded fucking amazing. The film they made, yeah, not yeah. so much. <laughs> Quite interesting to think about that the the two lead actors in that one are both part of the whole Me Too movement. Is is it Bridget Fonda? Is it Rose McGowan? Oh, she's in it. yeah. So it's hang on, but it's it's, so it's Brendan Fraser. Rose McGowan and Bridget Fonda, right? I forgot about Bridget Fonda. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I didn't know she'd been me tooed. But I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the uh, Danny Elfman's not like I that, mean, mate. Yeah, I'm thinking of the poster. I think it was just Rose McGowan and. Brendan well, Fraser. she was the she was the the sexy shill. Yes, and uh, Bridget, I think Bridget Fonda's the uh, like the, the the actual love interest. But anyway, I wasn't going anywhere with that. Just thought it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some more uh, research on Monkey Bone. Monkey Bone. Yeah, definitely. I'm not wrong. It is Bridget Fonda. John Turturro. Chris Catan is in it. Giancarlo. His name's not John Giancarlo. Giancarlo Esposito. I always thought it was Giancarlo. But thanks to the Far Cry 6 ads that are on TV every <laughs> all the time, I actually get to hear him pronounce his own name. You know, it's not how I pronounced it. Oh, Megan Mullally is in it. Bob Odenkirk? It's an all-star cast. Lisa Zane, my favourite Zane. Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, who else have we got here? Anyone else I recognise? Hello and happy Monday, friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls, a podcast that is 50% unnecessary swearing, 40% nostalgia and 10% snort. And this week I got to relive a little bit of my childhood, which was really, really super fun. Now, stop motion was such a big part of my film and TV experience while I was growing up, and it only took this week to fully realise that. Wallace and Gromit was obviously huge at the time, and I even had a running joke with friends that was influenced by Wallace and Gromit. You know, I'd make my mouth overly huge, bare all my teeth and shake the insides of my wrists at them, and say in my worst British, British accent, Gromit, we forgot all the cheese. Now, please don't ask me why I thought that was hilarious. I was a very strange child. <laughs> This week, though, I just couldn't look past the, class, uh, the classic animation sensation, Chicken Run. It's a wonderful story about an American circus cock 
who flies into a chicken coop on accident only to fall in love and ultimately helps all the chickens to get the flock out of there, saves them from the impending delicious doom. Now, I have extremely vivid memories of seeing this at the movies with my mum, and as corny as it sounds, I cherish those moments to this day. The claymation was and still is phenomenal to watch, and as a child, it just captured my little mind from the get-go. You know, I wish in my own life I had the patience to create something this beautiful. I remember it made me feel happy and cosy. The characters felt familiar and yet still new and exciting. And let's just be honest, the Brits really are the funniest, so this movie was a hoot. Oh, I mean a cluck. No, that doesn't work. You know what I mean. It was funny. (laughs) I remember laughing until my sides hurt. Laughing at Fowler and Babs the Knitting Chicken. I remember being absolutely terrified of the horrible, scary-looking Mrs. Tweedy. I remember the growing fear and desperation I felt as I wanted them to escape so badly. I remember realising in real time what exactly was going to happen to the chickens that lived on that farm. And then being mortified because I loved these chickens so much. And then being mortified by the fact that I enjoyed eating chicken so much. It was all so very confusing to a 10-year-old. Although, to be fair, it's not slowed me down yet. Fried chicken is life. Now, let me just say that again, because that is important. Fried chicken is life. And uh, that phrase will be probably be my first tattoo. So, you know, fried chicken is life. You know, it's easy to see little nuggets of other films influenced everywhere in this film as well. So I can see that now and as an adult. So I get now why my mother loved this movie just as much as I did. You know, from Mel Gibson yelling out, freedom, when flying over the coop, to Ginger and her escape attempts replicating actual scenes from The Great Escape. And let's not forget that Timothy Spall, who plays Nick the Rat in this movie, Peter Pettigrew was actually Peter Pettigrew before he was Peter Pettigrew. And that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. You know, uh, my kids watch Shaun the Sheep almost every night before bed. It's a massive family favourite. We usually sit down all together and watch together. So I was especially excited to show them Chicken Run. But you know, as kids go, their attention span is about as long as my patience. So we will have to attempt this one another day. (laughs) Anyway, folks, that's my nostalgic opinion on this beautiful Monday. I'm getting the cluck out of here. Happy Monday, friends. That is the uh, highest grossing uh, stop motion animated movie. It is indeed. And, you know, um, I think uh, when it comes to stop motion, uh, contemporary stop motion pictures, the Aardman guys are top of the yeah. top of the Because the second one is, is ironically, is, is Wallace and Gromit. Yep. Uh, the first Wallace and Gromit movie. And then comes Coraline. Yep. Um, Shaun of the Sheep is one of theirs, which I yes. think is exceptional. That is one of my favourite family films of all time. I, I think the Shaun of the Sheep movie is just excellent. And I want to I want to make a point here. Like when I was talking to Phil Tipper before, and I asked him if he likes any contemporary stop motion movies, and he just flat out said no, that he's not inspired by any of it. I wonder if he was thinking of Ardman or just like he had that that sort of Nightmare Before Christmas thing in his yeah, mind. But look, you have to understand that Phil Tippett's an old guy. <laughs> You know, he's done his, his, the period of time where he's inspired by anyone else <laughs> is over. He's not, he's not there. People are looking up to him. He doesn't have anyone to be looking up to. Like he's looking up to people like Ray Harry Howes. Exactly. I know. But like, I, I just, I think to myself, if you're looking to the Ardman stuff, particularly let's go Shaun of the Sheep, the movie, it is perfection. Like everything about that movie, there's no dialogue whatsoever. And it is 
beat See, for beat lands every joke on a bullseye. Yeah. See, but I, I don't mind Shaun of the Sheep, but I like Wallace and Gromit more. I like I like I like Wallace. <laughs> 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 never ending search for cheese and tea. Well, I'm sure you enjoyed uh, Chloe's impersonation there. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that gets TikTok later. <laughs> it will. So do you love the Ardman stuff though? I do. Yeah. And Chloe did speak about Tri- Chicken Run and they're making a sequel to that right now, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, that was their first foray into feature films. But like you said, Wallace and Gromit, they did The Pirates. That wasn't a bad one. Early Man is one I haven't seen, but I I'm I've never keen heard on it. it. Haven't heard it. It's a caveman type Ardman Um, They did Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon But they also did two CGI ones They did Arthur Christmas and Flushed Away Which were animated to look like stop motion But they were computer animated Doesn't Arthur Christmas have something to do with no, I think Luke Besson But that's the other one That's Arthur and the Invisibles Yeah Yeah. Wrong Arthur, mate There's only so many Arthurs that my brain has room for Yeah They push each other out My go-to is always Uncle Arthur Yeah (laughs) My mind, though, if I think of Ardman, do you remember Creature Comforts? That's the one where they had like little interviews with cartoon characters and yeah. like they were really serious adult answers. Yeah. <laughs> God, it was funny. That shit's good. Anyway, I want to reference one more film just as a bit of a. Just to make me suffer on the letterbox front. <laughs> no, I'm not going to throw all of these at you, but um, there's one that I saw a few years ago that I thought this could have been one of the greatest stop motion movies ever made. And it. Missed the mark by a million miles, but it it could have. It was called Helen Back. Have you heard of that one? I don't watch any movies with Helens in it. (laughs) It was like the kind of movie that um, had uh, the likes of Bob Odenkirk. He played Satan. It had Nick Swarton, Rob Riggle, um, Danny McBride, Jennifer Coolidge, TJ Miller, David Kosher, and Susan Sarandon, amongst others. So congratulations. You pronounced at least half of those names correctly. Oh, fuck off. I got them all right. <laughs> what did I mispronounce? What was the second one you said? Yeah, that was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Swardson. Swardson. Nick Swardson. <laughs> How the fuck do you say his name? <laughs> just, yeah, just, keep digging. just keep digging yourself oh, that hole. Who is that guy? I don't know. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. Who's that guy? <laughs> I don't have a computer in front of me. I don't know who you're talking about. That guy from Buddy Games. Yeah. <laughs> now, come on, smartass. What's his, what's his name? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I just know, I know that you didn't say it right. Nick Swardson. <laughs> Swardson. So I got it right. Swardson. So I got it right. No. <laughs> Swartzman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the problem I had with the movie is it went really, really vulgar. It became like a really dirty kind of, you know, sex joke riddled movie that is good and you know, in and of itself, but when that's all it relies on in the end, it's kind yeah. of disappointing when the animation is so good. Anyway, did I get that right? No. <laughs> hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing stop animation films. And normally that is kind of the domain of children's fair. You know, there's some fantastic movies that are made with this kind of sandbox. But I am going to go into the other direction and I'm going to talk about a dark, disturbing, psychological dramedy uh, that is called Anomalisa that is made by Mr. Charlie Kaufman. 
Now, Charlie Kaufman, I guess the minute that I laid my eyes on being John Malkovich, I'm like, who the hell is this dude? And with all of his works basically increasingly, uh, I have to check them out. I don't know how I feel about them. And there's something about that uncomfortableness that Kaufman can get in me artistically that I don't know, I, it makes his work essential to me. This is one of, I think, one of his most uncomfortable and disturbing works to date. So Anomalisa is an adult drama about Michael, who is a uh, customer service specialist and ironically a motivational speaker, even though he's a highly depressed protagonist. And he's at an expo and he runs into a woman, Lisa. Now he has got a version of a thing which is called the Frigoli delusion, which means that everyone looks and sounds the same except for Lisa. So already you're probably going, okay, this sounds very Kaufman-esque. But yeah, I don't know, there's something, Kaufman is just constantly, you know, he just loves dabbling in the subconscious. He is, you know, he's obsessed with kind of like these bizarre ideas. And so, I mean, the weirdest movie I think that I saw all last year was I'm thinking of ending things. I still don't know whether I liked or hated that film. And I guess if you're provoking that strong of a reaction with your art, you're doing something right. And so, you know, Kaufman here, yeah, with, you know, this kind of really interesting animation work from an animator, Duke Johnson, this collaboration just, you know, I mean, this could be a really simple two-handed drama film, but instead, you know, with this strange visual palette that he's got, it get you know, it's even more disturbing. So yeah, so if you'd like to be kind of like weirded out and you want to lean into something that is surreal and strange, I think that you should definitely check out Anomalisa. I wasn't the only person that was taken with this. So even though it's got real kind of cult status, um, it was populated on a bunch of people's top 10 lists of um, 2015 when it came out. So yeah, so if this one slips through the cracks, Anomalisa, check it out. Well, this is it, mate. As I said, Monster Fest is days away. Uh, I've got to tell you, I can't wait to uh, see some of these films on the big screen. Good luck with it all, man. Um, not Thank that, you. Not that you need it. Monster Fest is always a stellar event. We try. <laughs> we try. Every year we try. We try our, We try hardest. We're the little company that could. We've been talking about it for weeks, so let's just give it one last plug ahead of opening night on Thursday. Head over to monsterfest.com.au or follow the social media pages or both. Grab tickets where you can and get along. It really is a world-class event. Yeah, Cinema Nova in Melbourne, in Carlton. And also, once again, if you did miss our social media videos, don't forget to hit up all of our social media pages and um, meet the makers, five films with. We have a lot of fun with those people. And tomorrow night, we are going to be dropping our conversation with Phil Tippett. So that one's going up too. So don't miss that. Let's talk about next week's show for a moment, Ben. Um, we're going to keep that Monster Fest mojo going strong with an interview with director Kia Roche-Turner, who is the, uh, the guy behind Wormwood and the sequel Wormwood Apocalypse. Yes, indeed. And uh, that is the closing night film of Monster Fest, I believe. It sure is. Excellent. So we want you to join us for that one. Uh, but for now, we're going we're gonna to close this show with a thank you to the gang, Jarrett, Guillermo, Chloe, Adam, Joe, Chad, and James. And thank you to Tia for all the hard work behind the scenes. And thank you all for listening. It's, um, it's been a good one, Ben. Good luck again. It's, I'll see you on uh, opening night. <laughs> Looking you, forward if, to it. If I remember to get you your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave with a song called This Way and That. This is going to make Ben very happy because it's a song from the Gumby movie. Until next week, everyone. Catch you later. <laughs> And through walls First he's here And now he's there He's short now he's tall Look over there I must be seeing things He just popped out of the ground